Good afternoon. Welcome to our worship service here at Providence Free Reformed Church in St. George. Uh, we extend a special welcome to any visitors who may have gathered with us this afternoon. And we pray that God will richly bless us all as we worship him. Pastor Scott Dibbett will lead our worship service this afternoon, and we pray that God will give you strength and bless you as well. Um, a couple announcements. So I have the privilege to announce the bands of marriage for our son, Jaden Michael Hamstra. Jaden and Amber Joelle Brooking have requested to be united in marriage. Unless the consistory is notified of any legal impediment, their marriage will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday, September the 10th at 2.30 at the Bossdale Barn with Pastor uh, Larry Westervelt officiating. This is the final announcement. And just a reminder, as you can see in the bulletin, a reminder of Seminary Day, which is tomorrow, and uh, the details of the start time and the speakers are located, are noted in the bulletin. Um, our call to worship this afternoon comes from Psalm 119, verse 105, where it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We will now sing our pre-service song, which is coming from Trinity Hymnal 672, When We Walk With the Lord, and there's four verses.
Our help is in the name of the Lord, who has made the heavens and the earth, who keeps truth forever, and who never forsakes the works of his own hands. Amen. Your congregation hear God's greeting to us from Revelation 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Amen. Let us continue our worship with singing from Psalter 134, 134, all three stanzas. As we hope to meditate this afternoon on the last two articles of our undoubted Christian faith, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, then I would like to have us sing following our confession, Psalter 29, Psalter 29, all three stanzas. Let us first confess, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us unite our hearts in corporate prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. For Lord, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must and can be saved. 
There is no other name under heaven which is powerful, majestic, and mighty. Lord, as we contemplate who you are and the fullness of your kingdom, we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come in a powerful and mighty way, even as you have promised and sworn by your own name. Lord, we give you thanks for who you are, your kingdom, and we submit to your holy will. Even as we had the privilege to sing in way of pre-service song, trust and obey, for there's no other way. And so, Lord, may we find our happiness, our fulfillment, our hope, and our consolation in the truth that your will is perfect and best for us that we would surrender to it day by day. Both your will, as you have revealed it to us in your word, and in the providences of life. Lord, we pray, as your will is done in heaven and upon earth, and we submit to it, may your name be all, receive all the honor and all the glory. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to forgive us our sins, that you would keep us from sin, and that you would be pleased, O Lord, to wash us afresh in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in this moment, that we might approach to your holy hill with a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that is surrendered to your grace and your love, and that we, O oh Lord, would flee from sin, and that Satan would also be kept far from us, that we would be preserved in the midst of temptations. Lord, that you would be pleased to also grant unto us our daily needs. Lord, we see all around us the challenges in life and the brokenness, and we we see all of those and hear of all of those who are in great need in this world. And so, Lord, even as many of us have our pantries full of food, Lord, be pleased to grant bread, our daily bread, and that we would trust in you day by day for your provisions. And so, Lord, as we contemplate what it means to be a Christian and how that affects all aspects of our life. We pray that it would impact our marriages and our work and our school lives. And we thank, Lord, of, of Jaden and Amber who hope to be united in marriage in this week. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless them richly in their married life together. And Lord, that all things would go well in this week and that as they prepare uh, for their wedding day on Saturday that um, Brother Pastor Larry Westervelt would also be able to arrive safely and 
and without any impediments, and that that their day would be blessed by your Spirit and your grace, encouraging them. And may they live out of that encouragement every day of their married life as they seek to be married in you, the Lord, their God. Oh Lord, be with those others who are also preparing for marriage, Lord, that in due time they might also be blessed in this wonderful uniting in holy matrimony. We think also, Lord, of the schools that are opening again this week, and as the children go to school, we pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every one of them with a a ready and a willing heart to learn and to study and to grow, not only in academics, but especially in a knowledge of who you are, the Lord our God. We pray for school teachers, especially in, in this regard, and I ask, Lord, that you would grant them with uh, wisdom and guidance and all things necessary to, to be able to instruct our covenant youth in the ways of the Lord and according to your word. We think too, Lord, of a holiday tomorrow and the opportunity uh, to learn and to grow together also as a denomination in way of uh, what we call Seminary Day. We pray that you would bless Pastor Mordike as he, as he brings uh, uh, us your word also in way of church unity and tomorrow as, as we think about the Bride of Christ and the many de- denominations and what unifies us and how we can show that unity uh, to the glory of your name in this world. We pray that you would grant him wisdom and guidance as he brings this me- these messages as well, and that they would be blessed to our federation of churches. We thank, Lord, of our federation of churches and the need of gospel ministers, and we give you thanks, O Lord, uh, for many pulpits that are being filled, even through students that have graduated from seminary and and Lord, we, we pray that all of these things would go well and be done uh, orderly and that in due time all of these pulpits would be filled. And we think, too, of the call that Grand Rapids FRC has extended to uh, Reverend Lawrence Denbutter. We pray, Lord, that we would give him clear guidance in regard to this call and that if it be your will that he receives... A, that you have are sending him to the Grand Rapids congregation, that it would be clear to him and that you would uh, grant him grace to walk in that way and to fill also that pulpit. We ask, O Lord, that you would be pleased to be with us also as a consistory here in Providence, FRC, especially as we hope to meet on Tuesday evening. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, grant unto us wisdom to guide the flock of the Lord Jesus Christ that you have entrusted to us. Lord, we need your grace. We need your help. And so we ask, Lord, that you would graciously grant it unto us and that we might have a meeting that is filled with brotherly love and unity and that we might be able to leave each and every meeting as you have granted us grace to do up until now, saying it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit to go forward in such and such a way. And so, Lord, we pray, too, to that end for 
the office bearers of our congregation, that you would uphold them and strengthen them and grant unto each one all that is needed. And to those who also will be nominated, especially as the nomination process begins uh, for uh, new office bearers to, to take the place of those who will be out of office for a period of time or retiring, we pray, Lord, that you would bless uh, us with wisdom as guiding in this nomination process and that uh, men would be chosen and directed as, as they fill the qualifications of First Timothy 3. We pray, Lord, that, that there too your will would be done for the promotion and edification of your people. Lord, as we turn to your holy word in this hour, grant us a rich measure of your Holy Spirit. For Lord, how can we go forward without your spirit? And we need it. We need him uh, even in, in all of our worship. But uh, Lord, as we open your word, we know that you work through your spirit and through your word. And so, Lord, be pleased to, to bring that word powerfully in our hearts and in our lives and that it would impact all of our being, and it would draw us close to you, near to you, in true faith, and that our hands would be employed to your service, that our feet would indeed walk in your ways, out of a heart that is in awe and in love with you, the Lord our God. Hear our prayer, forgive us, and go with us, we ask for Jesus' sake, amen. This time we will sing Psalter 275, 275. But first, before singing Psalter 275, our offerings will be received for the Lord in his service. May God bless you in your offerings in this day. It will be just one offering for the general fund.
your congregation, let us turn in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, second to last chapter of the Bible. Find it on page 1424 in your pew Bible, Revelation 21, and we'll read the first eight verses, Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21 here, we find the last vision that John is receiving on the island of Patmos, a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22, uh, we also will see this in light of the last two articles of our Catechism. Catholic, undoubted Christian faith, which we confess in the words of the Apostles' Creed in question 57 and 58. In question 57, question comes to us, what comfort does the resurrection of the body afford you? Answer, that not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. Question 58. What comfort do you take from the article of life everlasting? Answer. That since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation which eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. As far as confession from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we 
consider this article, especially life everlasting, and what that means to have life everlasting in body and soul for all eternity. I would like to draw our attention to the hope that our confessions, whether it be the Heidelberg Catechism or the Apostles' Creed, affords us and what comfort we receive for them, especially when we need encouragement. The truth of the matter is, is that many of our confessions came out of times of great persecution, affliction for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes challenged by heresy, other times through power struggles, through the emperors of this world, such as Domitian, even here in Revelation. Other times, persecution, simply because of the Christian truths. And the things that flow out of our confessions are those that especially ground our hope in the Lord, in His salvation, and in the life to come. And the Heidelberg Catechism and the Apostles' Creed are no different. But as a matter of fact, many times, such as in 1 Peter 3 and various other times in Scripture, it's as if the apostles take the church who is suffering and under affliction and persecution back to their foundational confessions built on the Word of God. And other times, such as in the book of Revelation. What we find God Himself doing by His Spirit is coming to a persecuted saint isolated on the island of Patmos and there to reveal His glory and the hope that there is to come in the life to come. And this is the situation for John. John on the island of Patmos likely this time, Domitian was emperor, requiring emperor worship. And those who refused to worship the emperor came under intense persecution. And here he was, isolated, away from the churches. And he, gets, and he receives this vision from God and, and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sees Christ walking through his churches and he, and he hears Christ's commendation of some of the churches. And he hears his condemnation of other churches. And he, and, he, and he looks at this all and he's confused and perplexed. Here I am on the island of Patmos in this church that I love. Ephesus. They've lost their first love. And he's struggling as he sees the brokenness of the churches. And then he sees, again, the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's like this seesaw in Revelation. As he sees the, the accomplishments of Jesus Christ and all that they have to offer for time and for eternity, but he sees the real challenges as the seals are opened and the bowls of God's wrath are opened. And as nations rise and the beasts come out of the sea and all of the challenges that are presented in Revelation, 
there he comes to Revelation 18 and he sees the fall of Babylon, that great city that has corrupted this world with her fornication and persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he sees her fall and all of her demise. He sees hell and Satan and all of his helpers swallowed up at the end of Revelation 20 in that lake of fire that will burn forever and forever. God is graciously showing him the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Great encouragement. But he also directs him in Revelation 21 to the hope of those who are written in the book of life. Behold, he says, I make all things new. I'd like to look at this in light of this comfort of life everlasting from Revelation 21. The first eight verses. With that theme, behold, I make all things new. And let's try to receive this vision that John has received on the island of Patmos through the Word of God, first of all. Because that's what we read, isn't it, in verse 1. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In this vision, John is, is trying to comprehend what he's seeing and write it down for us. And, and there's really no words to describe all that he sees. And so sometimes he's, he's, he's referring to things that are positive and negative, but it lacks in many ways detail and specificity. And what John is doing, though, is, is describing positively what he sees and negatively what may not be there, and not in a negative way, but he negates what is here now and not there. And so John positively says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And so he goes all the way back to the beginning. The only way I can describe this vision is to go back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he starts there and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first has passed away. Positively, he sees new. Negatively, he sees what is gone. In a positive way. Because he's not necessarily saying it's a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. But this is one, if you compare Scriptures, that reveals, as Romans 8 does, all of creation's groaning under under sin, and it's waiting for that final redemption. And so it shouldn't be seen in the sense of replacement, but in the sense of rejuvenation, in the sense of purification. And so this new heavens and this new earth is really showing what has all passed away. That old order of sin is gone. Corruption is gone. The curse of sin is gone. 
the dragon and all of the beasts and the false prophets and the harlots of Revelation are all gone. God's creation is purged. It's pure and it's holy. And then he adds these words. Also, there was no more sea. Revelation 13, that beast was coming out of the sea and it terrified the world. This this beast that the nations trembled at because He was going to overcome them. And the Christians especially trembled at because of His persecution. It's no more. There was no more sea. There was no more place for the beast to even come out of. And furthermore, that's exactly what this sea symbolizes in Revelation. Because the sea symbolizes, it symbolizes conflict and unrest. It symbolizes, as Hendrickson put, the roaring, the raging, the agitated tempest of the waters. Those waves that perpetually crash together and foam out their shame and indignation, even as the nations of this world do in conflict and unrest. The storms of the sea are a picture of the world we live in. And sometimes, as we look at the world events, there are deep and dark mysteries that shroud everything within them. And isn't that the truth of the sea? It is filled with mysteries. But not only is it filled with storms and mysteries, the sea is, is some, especially in John's day, it was, it was really... A huge barrier. It was a boundary between nations. Maybe our parents, maybe especially maybe our grandparents for most of us, understand something of the distance that the sea created. When they immigrated from the Netherlands and came to Canada or to the U.S. And there the sea distanced them from their relatives distanced them from people they love. But John says there's no more sea. When we think about that in a spiritual sense, we think of how sin separates us from God. But here John says also there was no more sea. No more sea. You see, that new heaven... And the new earth are really this backdrop to the newness that comes into focus. And that shows a holy city. Notice verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He's saying there is no more separation. There's one holy city, the New Jerusalem. And it's coming down from God, perfectly united to God, and it's coming down from God out of heaven. 
This is a perfect, holy city. The city of the living God. Today, our view of a city is probably distorted by sin, isn't it? In reality, our view of a city is that Babylon the Great and earlier in Revelation and and that, that great city that portrayed terrible things. And that is often our view of a city. But this view of a city is one that portrays an ideal city. A place of permanent residence. A place of an innumerable number of inhabitants. A place of perfect safety and security and fellowship and beauty. A city that comes under one unity of government. It's like, he says, a bride adorned for her husband. It's a husband-wife kind of unity in this city of the living God. This new Jerusalem. This is what John is seeing. And as he sees all of this, thank the Lord that he doesn't just allow him to come to his own conclusions as to what he sees, but actually heaven resounds with a commentary on what he sees. That's what we see in our second point, heaven's commentary. Notice that in verse 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself shall be with them and be their God. And He shall wipe away, and God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Again, positive and negative aspects as heaven gives its commentary. And it begins with the positive. God is with man. God is with him in the fullness of the sense of Emmanuel. In the fullness of the sense that He dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. God is with man and man is with God forever. Perfectly. We know that God was with Israel in the tabernacle. Dwelt especially in the Holy of Holies. He dwelt with us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who tabernacled with us. And has now ascended into heaven. But then, perfectly, He will dwell with us as Emmanuel, we with Him, and God with us. That's really what heaven is all about. That's what everlasting life is all about. is to be with God and He with us. As a matter of fact, Samuel Rutherford said, Oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without Thee, it would be hell. And if I could be in hell and have Thee still, it would be heaven for me. For Thou art all the heaven I want. 
dwelling with God and with our blessed Savior is what heaven is all about. Not only is there this perfect communion with God, but He wants to care and comfort us as His bride and and reminding us of all the things that are done away with. He says to them, there will be no more tears. I will wipe away every tear from your eye. Only tears that will be in heaven are joy. Tears of joy. He's going to purge away all the old order. As all those former things have passed away. And there's no more death. There's no more sorrow. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. There's no more reason for the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ to shed a tear forever. Because the curse of sin and depravity are all gone. That's why Paul says in that glorious passage in 1 Corinthians 15, which we looked at a few weeks ago when we considered the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our resurrection. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? There is none. Because we can thank God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How often do you think about heaven? I sometimes wonder if we think far too little about heaven and far too much about earthly things and circumstances around us. I think sometimes we treasure the things of this earth so much that it gets in the way of meditating on heaven. As a matter of fact, I know we do. Matthew Henry wrote, He whose head is in heaven need not fear to put his feet into the grave. If your head is in heaven, the fear of death is gone. The fear of the grave is gone. If our head is in heaven, the fear of man is gone. If our head is in heaven, then the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of eternity. Do we groan when we know our sin and the brokenness of this world for that redemption? A redemption of our body That it would be with our soul in heaven forever. Some people will say, 
Pastor, you know, if you're too heavenly minded, you won't be of any earthly use. I'm not so sure that you'll be of any earthly use if you aren't heavenly minded, according to the Word of God. You see, our home here is not on earth. Our home is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our life is in heaven. Our Savior is in heaven. What here on earth can compare to that? Heaven's commentary tells us what heaven is and that life everlasting is. But God's Word doesn't stop there. God Himself confirms what John sees. Notice that in our third point. God's confirmation. Verse 5, Then He who sat on the throne said, God Himself said, not heaven, not a loud voice from heaven necessarily, which wouldn't necessarily mean God, not just what John saw, maybe in his imagination even, but God Himself who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. There's no doubt when God Himself speaks from His throne, And he says, Behold, sit up and pay attention. Would you look at this? I make all things new. A new heaven, a new earth, a new holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from me out of heaven. The old has passed away, John, and all things are new. John, take up your pen and write. Because I want you to know that these things are true. And I want the church of all ages to know that these things are true. Behold, I make all things new. I want the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that my words are true and faithful. I make all things new. This is My sure Word. The Word of Him who sits on the throne. The One who is true and faithful. The One who cannot deny His Word. The One whose promises will never fail. Behold, I make all things new. What a gracious God. He doesn't want us to chase all of our hopes here below. He wants us to put full confidence in Him and what He's revealing to us in this vision. I make all things new. I want you to read these truths. I want you to preach these truths. I want you to meditate on these truths because I want you to write them down, John. And I want them to be given to the church, even that church in Ephesus. who left their first love. Who are seeking a different utopia. 
who are seeking a utopia here on earth. Isn't that also what we do today? By seeking wealth and prosperity and long life, seeking worldwide peace, seeking all of these things because we we have our hope here below. Putting all of our confidence in, in our wealth, our education. Seeing these things as our most prized possession. I'm not saying these things are wrong to pursue. They're godly to pursue. If our, if our head is in heaven, we would even want to pursue good things. But not at the expense of thinking we have a continuing city here. There is no continuing city other than the new Jerusalem. And that's why God says to us here, behold, this holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. I make all things new. And He doesn't, he doesn't even say it in the sense that He will make all things new. He says, I have and I am making all things new. Notice what He says. He says, and He said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And He said to me, it is done. It is done. It is already. It is completed. It's not some wishful thinking. It's not hoping that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. It is already, He says. Well, how can God say that? Because when we look around, we don't see it. God can say that because of His own character and His own being. Notice how He addresses this. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I. The great I Am. The God from eternity past. The God who has created time. And the God who yet dwells above time. The God who is and forever will be can say it is done. The God who is from the beginning to the end and knows the end from the beginning, He can say it is done. All of history is Mine. And my redemption is complete. And that is how sure we can be of life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Because God is not bound to time and His work cannot fail. These are victory confessions for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So sure is His Word that He promises it. He makes oaths with His promises in His own Word. Notice how His promises end this little section. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. That's the first promise. He's saying those who come to me, as we find in Isaiah 55, anyone who thirsts can come and buy without money, without price. 
He gives life-giving water to Samaritan women at the well in John 4. And he stands up in the middle of the feast in John 7. He says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He comes with life-giving water. There's no more sea but the glacier that runs from the grace of God in the throne of God is available to all who thirst. There's no more salty water, but there's fresh, life-giving water. Are you thirsting for God, for Jesus Christ and His eternal life? Then he says, it is done. It is complete. I make all things new. And in eternity you will never thirst again. The second promise he gives is verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. The assumption is, is, there's an assumption isn't there built into this promise. That even though the victory is won, even though all things are new, there's still a battle to be fought. There's a spiritual battle of faith. A battle against sin. A battle against the world. A battle against Satan. And we must overcome by the grace of God and the strength of God. We must overcome this enemy by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by His Spirit. And to those who overcome, they will inherit all things. When Jesus tells His disciples, John 16, that He's going to leave and they must overcome, He says, fear not, I have overcome the world. And those who are in Him, and when they overcome, they will inherit all things with Jesus Christ. The in They will inherit the blessings of the new heaven and the new earth. They will have dominion over it with Christ and in Christ. And they will experience the blessings of God and have that perfect communion with Him forever. And the full realization of what it means to be a son, a daughter of God. To be heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Oh, may God take our hand, head and affect it with His truths and our heart and draw us near to Him and our hands that they would be equipped by His Spirit to go forth in battle in order to overcome. The promise. I will be His God and He shall be My Son my daughter, my child. A personal relationship with God. And there's one more promise. Verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part 
in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There's a promise for those who are fearful and unbelieving, cowardly and unbelieving, and the list goes on. Their part will be in the lake of fire. That lake of fire that burns forever in the second eternal death. On the flip side of life everlasting is eternal condemnation. A solemn way to end a glorious portion of God's Word. A solemn end to what we confess as we confess our undoubted Christian faith, the words of the Apostles' Creed. And you might ask, why? Well, there may be one, there may be multiple reasons. The first reason is this. First reason is it should stir up a holy jealousy for anyone who doesn't know the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It would create such a jealousy for those who have life everlasting that they will not rest until they receive it themselves. And they can know that they're part of this new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And that perfect city. That they can be delivered from that city of Babylon that's full of corruption and brokenness and and all kinds of devastation. The second reason could be to squash any presumption that might lie within us. To cause us to examine our own lives. Am I thirsty? Am I seeking to overcome? Or would I be included in these cowardly, unbelieving, and wicked people? A third reason would be to spur us on to holiness. Realizing Realizing that God wants better of me as His child. If I'm going to be in this new heaven and this new earth, and He says already that it is done and that the victory is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ, then He would want me to act as if it's already done and live as if it's already done. Another reason... A fourth reason might be to extol His own grace. Because which one of us don't deserve that lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone? Because who of us can say we are not a liar? Who of us can say we are not an idolater? Who of us can say that we don't struggle with unbelief? Who of us can say that we are not cowards? The 
Jonathan Edwards said, Grace is but glory begun. And glory is but grace perfected. That's when grace will become perfect. It extols the amazing grace and the amazing glory of God when He says, Behold, I make all things new. I believe I gave you about four possible reasons for verse 8. But I think the point of verse 8 is really found in chapter 19. The point of verse 8 is to tell John and us as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ that everything that is against God and is united to Satan will be gone forever. The old will pass away. Notice chapter 19. After the great fall of Babylon, John hears a loud voice and a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, because He has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and He has avenged on her the blood of His servants shed by her. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rises up forever and ever. And they fall down and worship God who sat on His throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants and those who fear Him, both small and great. And they resounded with the thundering, mighty thundering, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. This is the hope of a bewildered, afflicted, persecuted church and her servants. This is the confession of the church that God, when God says, I make all things new, anything associated with the old order of sin and of the curse is gone forever. What an encouragement to never even be tempted to sin again. For sin and all of its consequences to be gone forever, but to to be able to enjoy our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly for all eternity.
think we can understand than when John says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord, we submit ourselves to your word. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would be pleased to minister to us in an ongoing way from it. And we would see the glory of heaven. And our heads would be in heaven. So that we might be of earthly use as your church here below. May we understand something anyway in this day of that sure hope that lies ahead for all your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us sing Psalter 31. Psalter 31 stands a 1, 3, 6, and 7.
benediction, we'll sing Psalter 315 in way of doxology. But first, receive the blessing of the Lord and go to your homes in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.